Do you think I can't think of anything? Do you think war between nations or uh, ethnic identities and blah blah? Mm. Do you reckon that's in, in, in? Do you think that is an inevitability of human um, nature? Yes, because it's tribal. Okay, and I think we're we're going back to tribalism. In so many different ways, it, it, we like to think of ourselves as being so advanced and, and civilized and sophisticated. You have the more obvious forms of tribalism of, of war and ethnic ethnic conflicts, like we're seeing all around the world, obviously. But we're going back to a basic kind of tribalism, and I don't think we realize that with the identity wars that we have yeah. in the West that that have been set up. Uh, which I think are a, a massive problem. Obviously, you had the original diagram, Marx's, um, Karl Marx's conflict between class. So he was only interested in the ruling class working uh, versus the working class. He didn't care about sex or skin tone or religion or transgender or sexuality. That wasn't of interest to him. He just wanted a whole big collective of um, the proletariats uh, the uh, working class rising up against the bourgeoisie, the ruling class, and knocking them over. Now, the flaw behind that... Um, <laughs> yeah, we're dissecting yeah. Marx. Well, the flaw okay. behind that, which is interesting, <laughs> is that... <laughs> See, this is why I like talking to you, man, because yeah. you've got the depth of all this shit that most people have got no idea about. Well, look at, I mean, and I don't know how far, whether he actually did think about this, uh, and this was clearly evidence with Lenin and the Bolsheviks, for example... You want the working class to take over the system. You want them to be in charge. Yeah. You want them to be in charge of the means of production, the distribution of production. You want them to run things. All right. So you, <laughs> you tell me how these superstitious, illiterate, uneducated peasants are going to do it. You've thrown out the people that know how to run the systems. A flawed system, yes, but they knew how to run it because they're literate, because they're educated on it. They're not so superstitious. Um, how, are, how are these people going to run things? And the whole concept of it is, yes, you're going to have this sense of equality and uh, equal, equal distribution uh, of the wealth, and we're all going to be in charge of production and the means of production. But you talk about, you know, you mentioned before about human nature and tribalism, and I'm coming to another point about that is, Human nature in itself is greedy, isn't it? So, of course we are. We're survivalists so, and we yes. want more than what we've got. So then the people that come into power that are supposed to aspire to these ideas of socialism and communism um, and, and uh, the idea of sharing even and about just equal distribution, they hoard the wealth for themselves. And then they start uh, persecuting people that are against them or against their ideas. Yeah. And they can't run the systems. So this this whole thing... You know, really can't. It's funny. Work. It's funny you say that, man. I was watching um Bill Burr and uh, Conan yeah. O'Brien having an interview the other, uh, just literally today, and Bill Burr was saying they were talking about the COVID conspiracies and yeah. that sort of shit and how vaccines are just thinning the herds and mm. this is just population control and that sort of shit. Yeah. And Bill Burr says something like, "He goes, it's it's not they're not thinning the herd." And I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" He's like, mm. "Well, technically they're targeting the sheeple, right? Yeah. All these sheeple." Are the only people that yeah. are going to get the vaccine. So how can they be doing population control on the people that they can actually control? Yes. It's like what's going to be left? <laughs> it's just the, the Fonzies with the leather jackets <laughs> that are too cool to do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why would you thin out the herd 
of the people that are willing to do what you say. Exactly. Wouldn't you be targeting the dickheads, the anarchists, the you, people that... That's who you'd want to be, and you'd yeah. want to be enforcing it. It makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. No. no. I've said that before. Like, why would they want to kill me? I'm willing to work for the government. <laughs> I go to work every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why? Yeah, you're useful. Yeah. <laughs> you're useful. They, they sent me to work, but yeah. they paid people who were sitting at home I'm doing nothing. They paid them more. They paid them more. <laughs> they weren't <laughs> already part of the system. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. makes no sense. It makes no sense. The government rewarded apathy during the COVID yeah. uh, uh, sort of thing. One of the very few yeah. in the world. But <laughs> but we, if, we, if we go back to the whole tribalism, so we were going to make um, a point about that, is that we have reverted back to tribalism, taking that Marx... Um, the diagram term. of conflict that was only about class and the academics in universities in the Western world tweaked it because they, they realized, okay, well, this isn't really going to do much for us anymore. What, what could we do with it? And they turned it into a, a, a diagram of identity and cultural conflict, West versus East, man versus woman, uh, hetero versus homo, transgender versus everyone. Eventually, <laughs> yeah. Judaism and Christianity versus Islam, you know, f- fat and unhealthy versus, or an obese, shall I say even more, versus slim, fit, muscular, you know, all of these clashes within this, within this diagram. And that's the tribalism that I'm talking about. That's the tribalism that we become. Now, what that borrows from Marx as well is the concept of, and you know, the, the, the idea of, this is what amazes me about workers, who, whether they're workers that are involved in BLM or anywhere else that aspire to these ideas of socialism and communism. I don't think they've ever really read Marx. No, well, they, I've touched on it, yeah, but not, not to... They, they haven't read Marx in the sense that they don't understand... I mean, if you're going to implement the political theory of socialism and communism, I don't think it's going to be too pleasing to them because initially what it does is that it creates, and you've seen this to a degree in China, even though China, we know, the biggest capitalists on the planet, mm-hmm. they have incorporated some elements of um, socialism, communism, socially. The creation of a uniform identity, the creation that everyone is the same. So it does strip away at individualism. And we as humans want to be individual. We want to flex our individualism. We want to revel in individualism. These systems don't allow you to grow. Oh, they don't man. allow you the to, West, to... The West loves to tell you that you are special mm. and you have the ability and you have the potential, the potential to be. You know what I mean? Go to China. It's just- yeah, exactly. But that's a, that, that what the West promotes there is an element of truth because yeah. you are able to elevate. Yeah. You are able to aspire to objectives and goals. Unless there you're are, an Australian's tall poppy syndrome where they cut you <laughs> they down. They cut you down. <laughs> but in socialism and the communism, you don't have that. On top of it, there's no, um, there's no free trade. I no. mean, there's no private enterprise. There's no private ownership. Everything is uh, sold to you via the government at a price that they dictate. All goods and services are supplied by them. I don't think these workers should really want to live under a society like that. Now, the free trade, for example, I believe in, you know, or free trade, free markets to a degree. I believe there needs to be some regulation. I'll give you one example. Remember in COVID 2020, we had a toilet paper shortage. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. Uh, we're not going to go into that too much, but the, the reason why I mentioned that is 
where I think we need to have regulation is, let's say, if Coles and Woolworths saw the shortage occurring, had some stock out the back and said, okay, we're going to sell these units at $100 a unit instead of $10 a unit, there needs to be regulation in place in the market to stop uh, organisations from exploiting yeah. people in times of need like that. Yeah. So I don't think workers would be too happy with living under you know, the the political... Um, theories implemented of socialism and communism. So we have this identity conflict that we, we touched on earlier that the university academics invented, and they've implemented it into society, and it has been galvanized by politicians, it's been heavily galvanized by interest groups. We're seeing all kinds of people and all kinds of movements completely devalue the ideas of individualism. Uh, the ideas of context and nuance and history. So people are being evaluated and pigeonholed according to social identity. Yeah. And there are rigid prisms of, of social identity, two categories, very simple, villain, a victim. And then you have that whole concept, the dreaded concept of intersectionality, which should have been, it's a, academic theory, which should have been left in academia. It never should have been implemented. Well, it can't be implemented, but the attempt to implement it, because it's a mess, this whole idea of uh, the multiple disadvantages social identities intersect. So, for example, if you're a brown-skinned uh, Muslim woman. Yeah, what was that example? Remember, you sent it to me uh, earlier today. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, it was that... that um, <laughs> you're just that, building... That Greens counsellor, yeah. Yeah, what? Yeah, so, so you've got... Uh, uh, those three disadvantages social identity. So the whole idea is that this woman is so incredibly disadvantaged in life because she has these three identities. This whole concept falls flat and implodes very easily, intersectionality, because it doesn't take into account context, any kind of nuance, or any kind of history. The whole uh, that that runs with the idea that these identities are in themselves one-dimensional, consummate victims that are not capable of uh, initiating or pushing any kind of persecution or discrimination, which we know is not true. Yeah. I mean, you look at brown skin pigmentation, for example. Well, look at all the persecution that brown skin pigmentation inflicts on other brown skin pigmentation and whoever else in the East. I mean, it's a pandemic. So that theory falls flat automatically. This whole idea that a woman isn't capable of inflicting, you know, persecution or discrimination, that theory falls flat automatically. And these, we don't even have to touch on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole concept one of... One syllable in. Yeah, there's Islamic ideology, which is full of persecution against, you know, women, uh, homosexuals, Christians, Jews, atheists, blasphemers, apostates, and so on. That's not to say that that individual does all that, but the Islamic, again, the whole Islam thing comes under the banner of victim. And it, we said this the other day because a lot of workers cannot separate the doctrinal ideology of Islam with the image of poor, quivering little brown people in the East. They, 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 they can't separate the two. And of course, there's a lot of poor, quivering little brown Christian people too. And the Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. If you look at it, look at all over the East, they've been successfully persecuted and wiped out of many regions in the in the Middle East, all throughout the Middle East, uh, throughout Africa, throughout parts of Asia. 
Yet people don't talk about that. So this is what I'm talking about. The, the, this intersectional theory knows no history. It knows no context. It it's knows no space nuance. value, where you are identity, in 2021. Or just your identity, yeah. for example. And that gives you uh, points. It, that can put you in a surplus, depending on how many villainous identities you have, or it can put you... <laughs> villainous. Yeah, villainous. It can put, sorry, it can like put a you, Pokemon card. Yeah, it you can know? put you in a surplus, sorry, on how many victim identities you have. Uh, that means you check your privilege, you know, it's the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, or it can put you in a deficit, depending on where you where you stand. So th- th- that's the issue, and that's where we become really tribal, and I think it's really backward. I think we we should be we should know better than that. We should be taking into account the content of one's character when we're analysing them, and we shouldn't assume that just because they have certain social identities and they become these one-dimensional victims Isn't that of what Luther King said before they shot him? Well, the, yes. by the content of yeah, and not the, character? And not the skin colour. Skin. Correct. And that's the way that I work. Um, I take his philosophy because I think that obviously has a lot of merit. But unfortunately, we as a society, a Western society, particularly, I mean, in the US, I think it's particularly bad. Oh, yeah. uh, it's not as bad in Australia, but it's, the US is the foundation of all this nonsense. That's where it all comes from. And they are absolutely obsessed with skin pigmentation, categorizing people. And what really I really dislike is this whole idea of white people, black people. I don't use these terms unless I'm literally talking about your skin tone. It doesn't tell me anything else about a person apart from their literal skin tone. There's no such thing as whiteness. There's no such thing as blackness. There's no really such thing as white culture that doesn't exist. There's no such thing as black culture. There's such a thing as US, African subculture, yes. But you can't, and people say to me, oh, you're acting too white or you're acting black. You can't act a skin pigmentation. It's absolute nonsense. And the other thing is that it lumps all groups of people with white skin under this umbrella like they're one and the same. Again, with no nuance. You have the English, you have the Irish, you have the Russians, the the Serbians, the Spanish, the Portuguese, the Germans, the Swedes. Who are you talking about? And it's the same thing even with Africans. There are so many different ethnic ancestries that come from Africa, literal different skin pigmentations, and they even all look different. If you're educated on it, you'd know the difference between a Sudanese, a Somalian, or a Ghanaian, or an Ethiopian. They're not hard to tell physically apart. You always get a laugh, man. What's that? When when I'm in an Uber, and uh, I'm talking to the driver, and he's clearly of African descent. Mm. And I have a crack at where he's from, and I I land it. Nine times out of ten, I land it. And if they lose it, they're like... How did you know? I guess, yeah, one, I heard you on the phone, so I heard what language you were speaking. Yeah. It, says, it sounded like, you know, um, whatever. You know, yeah. it, it sounds like you've, you're clearly from Somalia. Like you're yeah. speaking a, like a form of Arabic and your yeah. skin tone's a bit lighter. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, can, you, can tell, you can tell by looking at them. Yeah. So I, I really dislike th- that form of American culture, which lumps people into these uh, skin tone collectives. And... Um, I, look, I understand as well that the the history of uh, Africans in America is, is 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 painful and tricky, and many of them because they're slaves of um, sorry descendants of slaves, they actually don't know where they come from, yeah. and many of them aren't even interested, uh, which is interesting as well. I remember Nina Simone once said that she wrote certain songs to make her people curious about where they come from. She said, "We're a lost race. We're not even interested to know uh, where we come from." Yeah, uh, she goes. We don't have the pride of people from uh, that live in Africa, and she wanted to 
do something about that. I thought that was quite interesting. But yet most of them don't know where they come from. So for a lot of them, it's all the same, oh, we're just African. But no, that's not quite not quite the case. So I really reject these ideas of you can act a skin tone. You know, there's such a thing as whiteness or blackness. I think it's all rubbish. Yeah. Except for the fact that, yes, there is a U.S., African subculture obviously that's developed and, and we can see that very clearly. But I, I really don't like the way that we've descended into this and you bring, brought that up as well as at humans um, where this kind of conflict is inevitability based on nation state, based on ethnic identity. At the end of the day, yeah, it's all, it's all tribalism. And now we're tribal according to identity because we've got nothing better to do. That's the, that's the shame of it. We don't need to be engaged in this identity conflict nonsense. That's actually a good way to put it. Yeah, the, we don't actually need to be. Well, we don't need to be. There's no reason to be. But, you know, uh, the, the, pow- the politicians utilize it, interest groups utilize it, you know, academics certainly in universities, you know, certainly propelled it. And I said this the other day. Uh, one of my new relationship deal – well, it's not a new relationship deal breaker. I've always had it, but I, just, <laughs> I brought it up the other day. I would uh, – anyone that has is doing or has done a degree or a PhD or honours in gender or queer studies, instant deal breaker. I will not date them. Really? What? No, absolutely not. What a waste of what a waste of time and money in the first place. I said something similar about someone that's um, studied uh, – reli- uh, they've, they've, they've got like – a theology sort of major, some, some, but not yeah. even in religion generally, but like based on a specific religion yeah. that coincidentally is the one that they follow. Okay, and they haven't become a priest or a nun. Yeah. Okay, so if, you, if you're not doing it to become a priest or a nun, then well, wh- why? Wh- what's the... And if they're not willing <laughs> to actually explore other religions at the same time... Yeah, to just learn. Be, just discuss religion yeah. in the same sense of philosophy, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, look, the problem with the gender studies and the queer studies is, and the social science departments is that you have a lot of these wokists and a lot of these people that have propelled these identity conflicts running these faculties. Yeah. And there's a lot of that wokist propaganda that's being pumped out of these courses. And people end up being stupider coming out of it <laughs> than, 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 than when, when they went in. And, I mean, what can you do with something like that, with a, with a degree? Like, I mean, it's absolutely worthless unless you want to... marketing. <laughs> unless you want to become an academic um, in those faculties. Yeah, but they don't. In those faculties yourself. But what you have is you have a lot of people that work in these faculties, or the students that do these degrees. Um, and you look at the gender studies, and the way that modern feminism ha- has panned out is you have a lot of very frustrated women in these, in these faculties or in these sectors uh, that, to be completely honest with you, and what my theory is, that they use feminism as a, as a cloak, as a um, as a disguise for what they're really angry about, and you look at a lot of these women, they're not what I consider to be very good looking. A lot of them, <laughs> you're a pig. <laughs> uh, no, it's true. A lot of them have weight management problems, and a lot of them have those rancid uh, hair dye jobs of you know blue or lime green or you know purple or pink. My theory on that is just from communicating with a lot of them and observing this movement is that they're angry because men didn't give them the sexual and aesthetic validation and attention that they so desperately craved. I think it's trauma that goes back to childhood, to teenagehood. And so they're pretty much simmering pots of neuroses, uh, internal chaos, 
self-esteem issues, body image issues. So they find social causes and interest groups to attach themselves to in order for them to channel their, their rage. And they're raging against men. So they use, you know, these courses, these movements in order to attack men, chip away at the heterosexual male social structure and so forth. Now, we freely agree that there are men out there that hate women that are misogynist because they haven't gotten what they wanted from women. We, hey, man, I had someone cut ties with me. freely agree with that. I had someone cut ties with me because they felt that just based on the fact that I'm Greek <laughs> and a man, yeah. I come from a painted-on like a, a painted on patriarchy, you know, filled... Uh, like history, basically, you know, my, I'm the I'm the poster boy for misogyny, basically. Well, it's ridiculous. I mean, most um, most cultures are, have a patriarchal st- structure historically, anyway. Yeah. So but because I'm literally because I'm Greek. Yeah, and it's, I said, it's ridiculous. Sorry, but you can't paint me in that fucking. No, I, I'm clearly not a misogynist. Like I'm not. Well, you don't hate women. No, no. Just starting off. Let's just start <laughs> off with that. You know, yeah, as yeah, the, yeah. As the, going forward, yeah. clearly I'm not a misogynist. No. Two. I'm all for equality, whether it's in social settings or whatever. Yeah. You can't just say, yeah, you're Greek and uh, you're a male and that's bad. No, that's you, it. you can't say that. But, yeah, people feel like, woke people feel like they can. Yeah, well, woke people also freely, and I accept the fact that, yeah, there are men out there that hate women. Oh, 100%. And, but they hate them because they haven't gotten the sex from them they want, they haven't gotten the, uh, the ego approval. Now, the way that men retaliate is very different to women, yeah. obviously. Men murder, men rape, men beat. Look, I think, have, you know... In, in, the, spirit, in, the, in like, the, the whole spirit of, like, you know, um, I mean, they're doing a lot of things to sort of address, uh, raise awareness of this sort of shit. Yeah. The statistics are ridiculous as far as women who have died in the hands of, like, you know, par- ex-partners, men, like people, men that they know. Most, a, most rape occurs yeah. in a domestic setting yeah. of a relationship. Yeah, it doesn't happen uh, so much. You know, you just grab a random off the street and rape them in an alleyway. They usually result in death. Yeah, it's and that is in the minority. Uh, uh, most rape occurs within the confines of a marriage or a relationship. Yeah, you know, and people people don't realize that. So we we have this side that we acknowledge of misogyny and the effects of misogyny, which are very severe. But all of a sudden, this then we flip it to the misandry that I'm talking about. A lot of these women that operate in the third wave feminist uh, context. Why is that not possible? Why is it not possible for them to be raging because they haven't gotten the sexual approval and ascetical validation attention from men? So they're raging. Then they use a different method to to uh, um, attack or to erode the system and the individuals that they feel have done them wrong, because that's what I see happening. Yeah. So you've got that, that, the women's movement there, which I think the average woman isn't interested in, because they, they can see how divorced it is, I think, from reality. They're not interested, because they can see that the modern feminist movement isn't interested in a collaborate, collaborative force, in, isn't interested in working with men. And working on what I believe to be very important globally, which is equal legal rights for everyone, the principles of equal treatment, uh, fairness of outcome, equity. These are very important principles for, for me, for us, I believe, to, to strive for. Yeah, They're not interested in that. They're interested in avenging the fact that not enough men wanted to fuck them and not enough men think they're pretty or good-looking. 
So they're raging and they're chipping away at it. Now, and then, then you flip to the... What's a, what's a Greek saying? Okathenes <laughs> metoponotu? Exactly. Everyone's everyone. got, everyone's got their own pain. And then you've got the, you know, the queer st- studies faculty as well, where you have a lot of, you know, homosexual men who are also raging. Um, and they're raging at the same collective that the third wave feminists are, which is the, um, the heterosexual male social structure. And very interesting. A lot of the homosexual men that I've encountered, that I've spoken to, that carry that hostility towards heterosexual men, it's all because daddy was mean to them. <laughs> At the end of the day, they've got daddy issues. I haven't, I've rarely found one that has a good relationship with his father. Now, I've, I've known quite a f- many yeah. gay men that have got great relationships with their fathers, and you know what? They don't have this agenda boiling away. It's the ones that daddy was never there at all. He yeah, ran off. Daddy was barely there, or daddy was hurtful, unfairly accept, so. Didn't accept exactly, that was, or, or was full of rejection because of their sexuality. So it's Freudian, isn't it, in a way, that they're just avenging, um, they're carrying a vendetta against daddy. So they attack the heterosexual male social structure any which way they can because of that. Now, the, the interesting dichotomy there is that the collective that they despise so much that they blame for all their problems god forbid these people should ever take any kind of accountability it's so easy to shift accountability isn't it they are also heterosexual men are the ultimate sexual objective that's like that's the ideal that's who you want to sleep with and um they can't have them isn't that like the arrogance of heterosexual men who think that uh lesbians will eventually uh whittle away down to actually fuck well it's it's, it's the same principle in the sense of it's a it's a sense of arrogance yeah that's what and I'm a saying. sense of yeah that they can never have these straight men so they they lo- they load the structure off, man, but they when lust it, when after it comes it. when it comes to sexuality like that yeah. man, i think both sexes are equally as arrogant i've spoken to so many women mm. that have or i've heard of women that i know yeah that feel that Everyone's attracted to them, period. And there's no reason why. Well, you've got to learn that you're never going to have 100% of the market. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. For women a number of reasons. That arrogance, man. I've come across women who think that they're, yeah, yeah. Across both, every side of the playing field, they can have it. Doesn't matter. No, it's not true. No, I'm telling no. you. It, like, it's just people are fucked. All right. And <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to whittle the back down to that. It's just literally, it's frustrating, man. You have all these. You're you're a humanist, the same way I'm a humanist. Like you're for equality. Yeah. You're for you're for like um for for equal treatment and for equal legal rights. And, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and fairness uh, of fairness, outcome. Like, fairness you know, of outcome. Uh, certainly not interested in equal outcome, but fairness <laughs> of outcome. No, yes. Fairness of outcome. Yeah, exactly. Like like with the whole Gaza thing, right? Okay. We. I mean, you've established with what you've said, right? I'm not, like I said, I'm not facts checking you because. I get a lot of this stuff that you've said, and I trust your your thing. If anyone wants to fact check you that's listening to this and wants to come and debate, they can you, check the maps and then yeah, they can come and debate. I'm more than happy to bring anyone yeah, on. The this is what this is. This is yeah. literally an open platform. Yeah. Right. Where's it going with this? Oh yeah. Okay. We're talking about Gaza. We're talking about West Bank. We're talking about all that sort of shit. Yeah. You don't want to see eight year old kids, whether they're Arabic or or Jewish or Israeli, for that matter. Because, you know, you can be Israeli and not be Jewish. Well, they're Israeli Arabs. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Hmm. You don't want to see kids being slaughtered just because. It's like, no. oh, they shouldn't be there. Or, no, it's no. too bad. No, but isn't it interesting that, you know, I 
I mentioned these points that we've discussed, yeah. uh, but there's no such, there's never been such a region or territory called Palestine. There's no such thing in a substantial sense as a Palestinian. The moment I say that, and then I explain it, uh, wokists and all other types accuse me of hating Arabs. They accuse me of ha- wanting to see them pushed into the ocean pretty much and killed. Yeah, and uh, even though I've, these arguments have got nothing to do with that, there's there, there's no genocidal lust or thirst for murder in my arguments. It's simply correcting some fallacies out there, historical with historical facts to back me up. But they will accuse you of such things. They will accuse you of wanting to see Gaza and West Bank destroyed and thrown into the sea, and I won't be happy till those territories are obliterated. I don't know where they get this, these ideas from because I don't think there's anything in what I've explained to you tonight that even implies that I want to see these territories destroyed. Yeah. I don't think there has been. Yeah, I always bring it up, man. I've, I've brought it up a lot of times. Like with, um, with the people fleeing from the uh, north of Australia, man, all the boat people coming into, yeah, illegally, obviously, makeshift rafts and boats. Yeah. People smuggling operations, that sort of shit. Yeah. And then all the nationalists all around me all of a sudden go ape shit and say, send them back. You know, they're fucking illegal immigrants. Tell them to get the right documentation, blah, 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 blah. And so, hang on, man. This person's fleeing persecution, man. If they hung around wherever they came from, they'd be, they'd be dead. Them and their families. Some people aren't given that option. Some people don't have the luxury of a passport or a mm. birth certificate. Yeah, we mentioned it in the last podcast. People, especially in this country, undervalue the physical worth of a passport. A national form of ID, yeah, that opens borders for you, yeah, and and secures who you are. Yeah, I've met people, right, in Australia. I've met people who have no legal status, as in they came here with nothing because they were literally chased out of whatever village mm. or town they were living in. You know, English is the fourth language that they've had to pick up, just as a means of survival. Yeah, and what do you want to tell them? Sorry, mate. Like, get back in your dinghy and go back over the waters. So this is oh this is a great topic <laughs> that I mean like, oh, the, well look there ne- there needs obviously there needs to be a process yeah there has to be a process. A bit, I don't believe in just saying oh well, by all means come on no in. no no nothing like that no within the, the within the means of the country's sustainability which is the whole problem like you said with Gaza like with Israel like they predicted they projected they predicted and forecasted for future growth right for, yeah for the and Israel no one else state. absorbed no one else absorbed the Arabs. Refugees that yeah. could have easily been, yeah, you know, were made refugees exactly. by the Arab world. Greece fucked up in World War One and Two because they took in World War One because they took in so many freaking refugees and soldiers of, of competing of, of fucking opposite sides. Yeah. But when the Syrians started pouring in over the border from Turkey and Jordan, all that sort of shit, and they started landing on Greek shores, they took in whoever they could, and then they were like, "Man, we can't take anyone else in. We're dealing with enough of a crisis." The the problem here, yeah, and then the European migrant crisis is another one, isn't it? I mean, you have. Three different categories of people. You have refugees that are fleeing actual war. Yeah. And that in that time would be Syria. Yeah. Um, there was a conflict in Libya as well. And you had Yemen that was in a state. Ah, of, Yemen. Yemen will bring Yemen up again. <laughs> poor Yemen. No, seriously, poor Yemen, the poorest Arab country out of the 14. Um, uh, then you had um, asylum seekers, so people fleeing persecution and they could be from iran or afghanistan or you know mauritania or wherever else and then you had economics people that are looking for just a better life yeah three different categories Uh, but you had um 
Merkel dissolving the external borders of Europe and virtually issuing an invitation to all three groups in the Islamic world to enter the European territory, multiple millions of people at fast rates of speed, and on top of that, no vetting, no regulation. How the hell can you do that? And now the damage to the European landscapes, to the societies, is irrevocable. She admitted it herself that mass multiculturalism and immigration is a sham, it's a lie, it can't work, it creates social incohesion, it creates parallel societies. Oh, we thought they'd go home eventually. You know, these are something they go home too. Well, I mean, the economics do. Yeah, economics. The refugees don't. I mean, so <laughs> to me, this was the biggest piece of insanity. And I can't believe that we're in this position now where Europe has had their landscapes and their cultures and the so so irrevocably damaged socially and economically because of this mass influx of people that are collect carrying incompatible religious and cultural ideologies. There are far too many of them in the continent than there is work pro- to be provided. They're going to uh, take far more from the social services systems than they will ever contribute back in tax. So it's not an economic viability. You know what's interesting, man? These same workists are probably the type to like spend months researching if they can uh, Im- integrate some like tropical fish into their aquarium. You know what I mean? <laughs> the water temperatures, yeah. the breeds of fish, yeah. the food, where it, yeah. the t- tank is yeah. in. Oh, you can't place that species of fish with this species yeah. of fish because it won't work. And I agree with you that it probably won't work. But with people, it's just like... Oh, one- it's okay. Yeah, you can flood Europe. You can absolutely flood Europe with it and they have no problem with it whatsoever. Um, Greece is supposed to just put up with it. They're supposed to put up with the irrevocable damage. Forget that the country itself is struggling. It's struggling. 80th you, recession yes. in like 10 years. And you, you know? had Lampedusa in Italy was at the initial region of Europe flooded first, and then you had the uh, the Greek islands flooded. France is supposed to put up with it, so is um, everyone else. Um, now, I have a theory <laughs> on... Ah, the theory. Yes. Why this is occurring, at least from an EU corruption perspective is you have two things here. You have multinational corporate agenda working here. The more people you have in a continent, or the more third world elements you have in a continent, means cheaper labour. You can get away with paying them cheaper labour. Of course you can. Now, the the factor is that a lot of these um, immigrants, we'll call them, because we're looking at three different categories, that have you know come from wherever they've come from, They've either landed in Turkey first or wherever else. They're not given green cards. If they were given green cards and processed in Turkey officially, for example, then they would have the exact same working rights as a German citizen or a French citizen or a Greek citizen, whatever, which means companies would have to pay them the same amount of money. They don't give them green cards on purpose. They just filter them into Europe, which means that multinational corps have access to cheaper labour. My second theory on it is that the more people you have in a continent means that you have a greater level of consumers, which means you have a greater level of consumerism for your products and services that you probably not, and you in fact weren't reaching in their home countries. So now you've got a greater pool of of consumers. So I think that is the drive behind it from an EU corruption 
uh, point of view. So it, I supported, for example, as you know, the Eastern Bloc states yeah. of Hungary, of Poland, of Czech Republic and Slovakia. And they put up their borders and they said no. We don't. When they saw thousands of people at the at the border in the Budapest train station rushing into, that's essentially an invasion. They put up their borders and they said, "Hey guys, we weren't expecting this. Here's some drinks, some water, food, towels, so we tents, camp out. We weren't expecting you. We'll let you know." They didn't let them in. That country has every right not to let them in. Why should a, a central office? in Brussels be dictating sovereignty and autonomy to nation states that have for so long had sovereignty and autonomy. They should be making decisions as to who comes into their countries. They defied Merkel in the EU and they said, no, we don't believe mass immigration and multiculturalism is a good thing. We want to preserve our nations, the landscapes of our nations, our culture, a particular way. So it's a no from us. Luckily, they kept their currencies. So that gives them greater power than, let's say, you know, Greece or, for example, other European countries that converted to the euro. See, the Eastern Bloc countries, they haven't forgotten their histories. They've dealt with Nazi occupation. They've dealt with Soviet occupation dominating them. They've had their nation states, their cultures, their landscapes threatened with extinction or with erosion at least. So they're not going to put up with it again. So I really admire that. I don't think that's um, a racist position that I'm taking, nor do I think it's a racist position they're taking on that. Neither is it xenophobic. It makes complete sense. Now, I'm not saying that European countries shouldn't take in a portion of these refugees or economic migrants or asylum seekers. I'm saying these countries should be in charge of a full say as to who comes into their borders, and there should be a process. There should be a process... No illegal immigration. There should be a process based on um, the length of your wait, let's say, um, the extent of your persecution or the extent of why you're seeking refuge or asylum. And also we need to assess your compatibility to the nation state, to the culture, and what you can bring to it. They would be my three points of criteria, and that's how I would prioritize entry. That's how I deal with it. Let's say I do it in um, what's it called in Switzerland? I think in Sweden as well. If you want to be a national, if you want to be a citizen mm. of these nations, you got to go through like ten years of screening. Switzerland has a cultural compatibility test. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, but, yeah, it wasn't Sweden, it was Switzerland. Switzerland. You're, you're right about Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, I just remember you know reading about it. It's like you can't, for ten years, if you're living there working, you can't claim government benefits. You can't claim shit. Yeah. It's like we want to know that you can actually stand on your own feet, yeah. and that's why you're here. That you're going to be a productive member. Of Certainly our not a bad policy, and I completely agree with their cultural compatibility test. We yeah. need to make sure that people are culturally compatible, that they're bringing with them values that are compatible to the host society. Where's the where is the concern for the host nation? Where is the concern for the people and the culture of that nation? Those nations. It's worth preserving. It's worth valuing. I think. Yeah. Because of what makes us different. And we are all different. We're not allowed to be different, though. No, but uh, there's great value in, in those differences. And I think that certainly needs to be needs to be preserved. So I'm a big believer. I'm completely against open borders. I think it's a load of nonsense. I think people that believe in open borders aren't in touch with reality, pretty much. I mean, what is an open border? An open border is 
the ability for people that are in jurisdiction A to move into jurisdiction B with little to no uh, vetting, uh, an open border lacks substantive border control. So how can we operate under such measures when we know, when we understand the reality of the world as it is? It's a, it's not a safe place. And people wish to do you harm. You know, speaking of safe places, you know what annoys me the most, man? Like, of all the wokists, yeah. of all the agendas, of all the, you know, petitions, of all the fucking shit that they sort of, you know, anyway, the one thing that annoys me the most, yeah. angers me, is when people put devalue human life and over animals and just causes in general, mm-hmm. right? Like the idiots in the further up north where with the mice plague right now. Oh, yeah, I read about that today. Yeah, that woke Crazy. idiot from RSPCA says that these mice need to be humanely captured and released. Released where? Exactly. Into the sea? Released where? <laughs> released where, man? Where are we going to put them? A funny, like a farm. They're, you know what I mean? They're a plague. They're damaging no, no. the ecosystems. They need to be captured humanely and released. And how are we going to do that? That's just silly nonsense. Oh, no, no, no solution for that. No. No. But that's my point. Yeah. That woman got airtime. She got onto the front page of the paper yeah. and rolled up all these budding uh, <laughs> environmentalists and vegans. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, fuck off, man. This is a plague. By definition, these mice are a plague. They're a plague. And they're a pest. They're a pest. They destroy crops. I've, I've gone into every argument, man. When I used to go, when I used to go hunting when I was like, younger, yeah. you know, I haven't been since I was, I, mean, I must have been 16 or something when I last went, 16, 17 years yeah. old. And we'd go to, to, in order to go hunting now, you need to have a registered firearm. You need yeah. to be, in, do you know what it takes to have a registered firearm now? No. You can't just buy a gun, know. man. No. Right? I've got five that I'm still waiting for my dad. That I'm still waiting to put to my name. Yeah. I've got my licensing. I've got my testing done. I just need to go through the final process of licensing, right? But to get, a legal firearm, you need to be registered with a gun club or some form of, yeah. of authorized gun club, right, where they have their own regulations and vetting, all right? Then in order to go hunting, you need to have access to either a private property by someone who has cleared you to be on, and you need a permit that literally wow. says, I've registered my intent to hunt on this person's property. Yeah. Or otherwise stated, like either owned by a club or owned by whatever. Mm. It's vetted like 100%. And they have to tell you the, the the property that you're hunting on usually has to have a reason as to why you're being allowed to hunt on there. There is a problem with noxious uh, feral animals. You know yeah. what I mean? When we used to go hunting when I was younger, we'd go we'd be going on properties to clear them out of rabbits, man, that were destroying the terrain. Strain. Yeah, exactly. This farmer's livelihood is up for grabs. It doesn't matter because these mice, mice. <laughs> can't be just wiped out with uh, poison of any kind. And the po- type of poison that's being used has to be humanely sourced <laughs> uh, and the effects have to be, you know, monitored. Yeah. You can't have any, uh, you know, um, can't have any mice that are going through any, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, when they're, um, fuck. You know when someone, uh, like uh, pain and shit, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for, man? I'm going, discomfort. Discomfort. They can't, can't suffer. be distressed. Right. Well, how do we, no. Mice. 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 Yeah, that are fucking plaguing the ground that Aussies are literally cultivating and and providing food for everyone on the for planet. The con- yeah, you where, know? The, where's the greater concern? No, no. But that is an argument, man. That is a conversation that people have had. Luckily, 
Luckily, the powers that be and our elected politicians have all rubbished it straight off the bat, saying you're out of touch with reality. Like, you're out of touch fucking, with the, yeah. You're out of yeah. your fucking mind. That, that's a complete out of touch of, of, of reality. But there are people that think like that. Exactly. So, I mean, it, then it's very reasonable for us to believe that there are people out there that think open borders are a good thing, <laughs> even yeah. though they're not in touch with the reality of... See, I work with the world as it actually is. I don't work on the premise of the world as it ideally should be or as the world as I fantasize it should be. I work with it as it actually is. Borders protect. We need them. We need to protect the nation thing, states. We need to protect is, people in these nations. This states. is the interesting thing. The way I see it, the way I'm hearing you say it, yeah. it's not necessarily the borders protect you from other people, but it's borders protect people from themselves and others. All over. It protects people from other, from just, it, it basically protects people from themselves, themselves being other people. Right? Yeah. We're not going to all agree, whether you like it or not. No. It's, it, we, if we're going to ever become an enlightened race that just exists yeah. in total harmony, there are a lot of things that have to go and there's a lot of, a lot of work that needs to be put in. I mean, how hard is it? I mean, you talk to your older relatives, man. Mm. I'm sure a lot of them would harbor you know, anti, uh, either homophobic or anti, like, pick pick a denomination or religion or ethnicity, mm. right? Especially with the old Greeks. They're all fucking lunatics, right? <laughs> I've got in so many arguments with them, man, just over stupid shit. You know, just the, um, just the baseless crap that they were raised to believe in. We're talking about the 70 and 80-year-olds, even 60-year-olds, yeah. right? I've spent so much time undoing that damage, right? Undoing that sort of, you know, tapestry of just ignorance. Mm. We're fucking eons away from having any form of enlightened race <laughs> where everyone just walks around like in Xanadu, you know what I mean? <laughs> We're in the Garden of Eden all of a sudden. Yeah, no, I don't think it'll ever happen. You don't think so? No, I don't think that would ever happen. I think... You don't think the human race will ever get to that point? I mean, we're talking hypothetics, never going to be in... In our lifetime. lifetime. Um, nah. and any, probably not. You'd have to just kill them all. There's not going to be some mass event that's going to make everyone go, no, oh, okay. You'd have to wipe them all out and start all over again. Do you reckon nah. it'd be like Independence Day if we're ever invaded by an alien society? To wipe us out? Yep. Do you but, reckon that, that's what it'll take? Um, maybe. Think, think about it, man. Yeah. Actually, that's an interesting thing. Whenever you see these apocalyptic event movies, disaster mm. movies on TV, whether it's an yeah. alien invasion, an asteroid, all that sort of shit, they never show the aftermath. Like no. 50 years on. You know? Well, actually, you know what I'd like? <laughs> uh, now that you mentioned this, what I would like to happen. Yeah. Did you ever see Melancholia? No. What the Lars, Lars von Trier film? No. Yeah. <laughs> of course I haven't. It's a, too Go on. <laughs> a great, great film. He just hates people. Yeah. You know, people have accused him of hating women being a misogynist and i said no he doesn't hate women he hates people and he's always determined to show us the absolute pit every single pitfall of humanity in the most visceral account and detail yeah and by the way a man that hates women could not have written such substantial so well developed intelligent characters for who, who's played them i mean you have um emily watson or bjork or nicole kidman kirsten dunst charlotte gainsbourg um, not possible. So he made a film called Melancholia, and it starts off with a character played by Kirsten Dunst, and she's getting married. Her parents are there, played by John Hurt and Charlotte Rampling. They're miserable. She's miserable. Um, she doesn't particularly want to get married. She's actually clinically depressed, and 
she doesn't exactly know why she's depressed, but she's severely depressed. And her sister can't figure it out, who's played by Charlotte Gaines, but Kiefer Sutherland's the brother-in-law. He can't figure it out. It's cast. It's a great <laughs> cast. He gets great cast. Um, and, and Von Trier said he based um, himself on the dunce character, his depression. And his depression came from working out that he was the product of a love affair between his mother and a Nazi officer. Wow. And that was a great cause of his depression, amongst other things. And I've, it's one of the greatest portrayals of clinical depression I've ever seen on film. And that's the first half. The second half of the film deals with a, a, a new planet that's been discovered called Melancholia. It's been hiding behind the sun, but now it's advanced away from the sun and it's heading towards Earth. And it is going to destroy Earth. And you've only got X amount of days before it hits, hits the planet. One sister's very much at peace with it. She's like, well, what's the point of saving this planet? Look at what we've, we've done to it. Yeah. The other one's panicking. She doesn't want to die. And um, just eventually melancholia hits Earth and you're all, all taken out in one go. Uh, to answer your question, that was an elaborative way to do it. I would like it to be like that. <laughs> and since you've got this planet or meteorite, whatever, heading to Earth, and it's going to destroy us in 30 days or 60 days and 90 days. You've got that time to prepare. I think that's fair. I think that's equal. It's an equal outcome, isn't it? Because we're all going to go. Yeah. So no one's got an advantage. Just blow the whole thing up. I think that would be the most interesting way. And then maybe, you know, something else will take over at some point and then there can be a rebirth and, the, and, a, and a regrowth and, and, you know, maybe humans might pop up again. I mean, I don't know. But... I'd like well, evolution is basically just a series of selective, uh, yeah, natural selection, natural selection, yeah. I mean, yeah, in, at the core of it, at the core of it. Here's a question. Let's let's. He's a <laughs> okay. Yeah, hypothetically, yeah. There's an alien race out there, yeah, staring at us with binoculars. Mm. All right. What do you reckon their opinion is of us as people? I reckon they pity us. They'd say these cunts are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. They would. They'd be fascinated, though. Yeah. We'd be specimens. We'd be... Specimens yeah. of study. We'd be something to watch. Not uh, spectacle of amusement, but also of study. I think they'd be interested to study us as as a species. But, yeah, I think that they would think that we were inherently very flawed. Yeah. And I don't know how flawed they would be what our opinion of, of them would be because it works both ways. But if they were watching us, I think that's what their opinion would be. I don't know. I think about that a lot, man. I think about the fact that, you know, the amount of history on, say, this planet, the yeah. wars, the conflict, the discovery of, like, you know, philosophies and ideologies and cultures and, you know, people seem to forget, and this is a problem, man, like I've mentioned it before, people forget just how deep history goes. Of societies in general. Well, it does. I mean, you know, our first topic, Israel, West Bank, Gaza, for example, yeah. people don't realize how old th that conflict or that narrative is. And you can't just begin your history lesson at 1948. You can't and just... And even that is like ancient history to half these people. Yeah. Because I... it was before they were born. Before they were born, yeah. Probably... In the era that their parents were probably born or their grandparents. Yeah, grandparents, yeah. You know what I mean? And even that just seems so, oh, that was so long ago. Yeah. Get over it. 
Well, you can't start the conversation about this conflict at 1948, which a lot of people like yeah. to do. You can't begin it in 1920 with British Mandate Palestine. You can't begin it with the Ottoman. You've really got to go all the way back yeah. because it answers questions. And people say to me, well, what does, what does all this history matter? People are suffering. Yes, we know people are suffering. <laughs> yes, we all want peace. Yes, uh, these are simpleton, simpleton arguments to make that tell us nothing. They tell us the bleedingly and bleedingly, uh, bleedingly obvious points that the mass majority of us agree on. We all want peace. We all know people are suffering and we don't want it to occur. We want it to stop. But at the same time, how can we understand our present if we don't understand the history of how we got to this place? We need context. We need nuance to understand the situation that, that we're dealing with. We need background. Uh, I think the intelligent, the thoughtful person wants background. Yeah. And I think that's important. You've got to have the understanding of the situation. And without having the understanding of the history, because I'm also interested in solutions, it's no good for you to sit there and tell me that you want peace or you don't want people to die and all and just dribble on emotionally. It's, it's completely not interesting. Where's your solution? On top of it, you have no rationale. You have no context. You have no history. You have no valid argument. And any kind of strong argument to stand on. And ultimately, you don't even have any solutions for me. Oh, I want a two-state solution. Oh, yes. Well, can you tell me a little bit more about that? You know, you know that's what irritated me the most about the whole COVID thing and how everyone was on, um, uh, what's his name? What's our premier's name? Uh, Andrews. Andrews, yeah. right? They were on his balls the entire time because he's an idiot and this is wrong and this is wrong. Yeah. And I kept saying, well, what should he be doing? And no they, solutions? Yeah. They come up with some solution which is completely self-serving. You know, <laughs> yeah. It, it would allow them to go back to the gym. You know? <laughs> like literally. Yeah. It allowed them to go back to the gym and going out on the weekend. Yeah. Right? I'm like, yeah. okay, cool. And how did you come up with this uh, theory? You know, like how did you come up with this? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like, okay. Andrews has literally got scientists working around the clock feeding him with all the information in the world and panels of people offering him advice from different stances. Yeah. As, you know, well beyond our, our means. He's doing, he's doing what he can, and he's got to consider an entire fucking country, you know, a state, and then from that, the state's uh, position within Australia. Yeah. That's what he's taking into consideration, not just your Saturday night <laughs> and your fucking Tuesday evening. Well, it just seems interesting that their solutions are based around what's going to satisfy their Social. But that's the point. Social calendar, yeah. You know what I mean? There's no yeah. context there. Like you said, people don't know the history. People don't know the context. People yeah. don't know that shit. And I think the further we go along, people watch documentaries on fucking Netflix. Yeah. They'll cram 100 hours of Tiger King, you know, yeah. as opposed to 100 hours of, you know, the, uh, I don't know, Nazi Germany. Yeah. Or... The play or whatever, like anything. You know, let's not get stuck into Europe. Go to South America. You know, I had a conversation with. <laughs> I was joking about. It. I was at a birthday the other day, and I was talking to my mate who's Spanish, like yep. his background Spanish. He's actually northern Sp- uh, Spain as well, so he's, he's not. He doesn't identify with the Spain. The Spanish is it Catalan? Uh, not Catalan. It's uh, Basque. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Basque. So sorry, he was made Basque. a differentiation of that. Yeah. It, he wasn't arrogant about it. Just, yeah. He laughed about it, right? Yeah. And then we were talking about invasions and like. All types of shit. And I said, go talk to the Central Americans about mm. what they think about the Spanish. Yeah, exactly. You know? And he started laughing. And we are just going back and forth. But I mm. could have that because I, I said that because I had context on it. So did yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, was, I was got into a debate with someone on Facebook again about Israel, <laughs> West Bank, Gaza. It's such babble. He said, um, he said that if a, if a group of people have been in a land long enough, they become indigenous to it. That's now, not true. What a load of nonsense! Uh huh. What's what's long enough? Determine what long enough. But is. The, the fact is, hang on. The fact is that he was trying to make out that Arabs are indigenous to the land of. Well, this region that now we now call Israel, West Bank, Gaza. We know Arabs come. We know Arabs come from the Gulf. Yeah. So they're indigenous to the Gulf. They're not indigenous to that region. The Jews and the uh, Canaanites are, for example, and, and some others. But the, but they're not indigenous to that land. So his argument, essentially, like I said to him, okay, then if that's your theory, therefore the Spanish and the Portuguese are indigenous to South America. I mean, they've been there for a very long time. Their influence is massive. Even though we know they come from a region or territory in the world which is called Spain and Portugal. But therefore, there's your argument. Now, the British, why don't we we'll say that the British are indigenous to Australia then? I mean, they've been here for a very long time now too. And their influence is massive. So if he's going to use that theory, that if you're in a place long enough, you become indigenous, even though there's a clear directive link to where these people came from originally, then you have to apply it everywhere. But he won't do it. I guarantee you. He'll never say that the English are indigenous to Australia. He will never say that the Spanish and Portuguese are indigenous to South America. But somehow he wants to make the claim that the Arabs have become indigenous to this region that we're talking about simply because they've been there since the Arab Islam has colonized Jerusalem. It makes no sense whatsoever. None. And I can't believe that these theories even get legs. Uh, they're, they're considered. Well, people I, I can't believe it. But people are stupid. The, the point that we made about Israel being an apartheid state, so we argued against that very successfully with clear evidence. I know people are stupid, but it amazes me that that theory even grew a leg or two. But we said even wokest rot publications like The Guardian would not even agree to something like that, and that says something. But you have uh, these ideas that are constantly flying amongst individuals, uh, particularly on social media, which, you know, Twitter is, an, as you know, is an absolute mess. I don't. I've retired from it. I don't use it Have anymore. You? Yeah, I don't use it. <laughs> you loved it there for ages. I did, and um, you know, Sinead O'Connor had me ba- b- banned for a week <laughs> after I got stuck into her about a thing or two, and then after that, I thought I'm just going to give it up. Yeah, I had my fun, but it's a mess. It was like Facebook. I gave that up. Man. Yeah, you I did, and you've, you've stayed hey, off it successfully it's been five, six years now, and you haven't used it. No. So it it became an absolute mess, and I just thought it was a headache and. Yeah, it's a cesspool, and I don't want to. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. So I gave it up. <laughs> I don't. I think Australians have got a big issue with it, with that sort of shit. Of time, like I've mentioned it before, like buying into these sort of fucking hyperbolic, um, sort of you know, sensationalist sort of things just yeah. pop up out of nowhere. Maybe because they're bored. Maybe because we're so isolated. You know what I mean? All that sort of shit. I saw someone. Uh, you see that Craig McLaughlin interview that was on TV? No. <laughs> It was advertised all along Channel 7, uh-huh. the big expose. You know, Craig mm-hmm. McLaughlin was accused of, you know, fucking assault, some, assaulting one of his co-stars. On okay. one of his, uh, I think it was on the Rocky um, Horror right. picture show thing. And um, Channel 7 came out, did a big expose, like big hard-hitting interviews of him being, you know, an innocent man, yeah. <laughs> targeted and all that sort of shit. And someone on Twitter, like, had commented and said, I don't understand how this even made it to, like, Channel 7, like, why are they airing this? 
And I said, for the same reason that a convicted drug trafficker yeah. become a contestant on a fucking dancing reality show, game show. Chappelle Corby got uh, a spot. Right. For the same fucking reason. Yeah. And they said, oh, but he was never convicted. It doesn't matter. The fact that they've even been given airtime yeah. just shows how badly we're scraping the bottom of yeah. the fucking barrel. You know, dude, everyone loves David Attenborough, right? Yeah. They love him. Yeah. Everyone loves a nature show. Everyone loves yeah. a documentary on sharks. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, of course, cool. yes, yes, <laughs> yes. They love it. Anything yep. in documentary form instantly makes people believe that they're becoming smarter and more enlightened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. TV, public access TV, could easily make money selling, uh, just producing documentary shit. Mm. You know what I mean? Easily. Market it right. Yeah. And they'll easily have people watching whatever the fuck they put on TV. But instead, they go for the cheap, short, cut fucking option of, you know, reality TV and all that sort of Sensationalism. Exactly. uh, Salacious material. uh, Tabloidism. Um, Whether people admit it or not, I think people like it. They pretend not to. Yeah. Uh, Some people genuinely don't like it. But I think there's obviously there's enough of a market for it out there. Tabloid journalism. I mean, how many people... Do I hear saying, oh, we don't care about, um, what's the prince's name? Uh, Harry. Harry and that... Megan. That Megan Markle. Markle, yeah. They, but there's still, there's so much interest around them. You know, for, for, for a whole collective that claims to not be interested... Mate, I... There's a lot of interest. That thing has been going for a year. It's been going for as long as COVID's been going. And every time I go by, like, you know, go to the supermarket, stand in line and wait to buy my groceries or... You know, yeah, you're waiting for. I'm watching the footy or something, and the ads finally stop. Yeah, they're still going about more chapters into this yeah. saga. And for two people that claim to want anonymity and want to be left alone, they're doing their very best to to do the exact opposite. So they make money, man. Yeah, but he's got so much money from left uh, in inheritance from his mother and a Netflix deal. He could actually both of them could just ride into the sunset of anonymity. Yeah. And be done with it. But I think that they just can't live off stage. They're so used to living on stage, they can't do it. She doesn't need to start dribbling about her miscarriage. She doesn't need to go on the slugs, Oprah, I call it the slug, <laughs> be interviewed by the slug, which was, again, a very salacious, sensationalist how, interview. How your friend um, Ellen got cancelled? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Gone. Gone. She's got. Yeah, well, um, look... Look, she's another one, isn't she? <laughs> I mean, she's worse than Winfrey. I mean, in terms of quality of interview oh, and yeah, of I show. Dude, I, I rated her as a comedian. I did, initially, before she beca- everything became about her being gay. Yeah. I rated her as a comedian and as, like, an actor in, like, comedy flicks and shit. Like, she was actually funny. She was quirky. And then Look, it just became about she, her sexuality. She was funny as a comedian yeah. in, in films and TV. Yeah, she, was, she wasn't too bad then. I think as a, I mean, her show appeals to the lowest common it denominator. Yeah, that's it's, it's it's really ba- basic content. Yeah. Interviews uh, are basic as as all hell. I think Winfrey has the ability to be a good interviewer. I th- and uh, the problem with a lot of American interviewers is they they feel they've got to be entertaining and they feel they've got to play up to an audience. Um, where the British are generally a lot. I prefer the British mode of interviewing generally. She's okay when she doesn't have that. But that interview she did with um, with those two was just... I never a, saw it. I watched it so I could criticise it because I knew <laughs> I wouldn't like it. Uh, but I just had to watch it so I could make the points against it. And it was it was dreadful. It was, um, you know, the, the level of new idea. Okay. Magazine intellect. You know, that's the way that I... 
that's the way that I saw that. But yeah, for a group, for two people that claim to want anonymity, they do their very best to go in the opposite direction. And I just think that they don't want to live off stage. I don't think they, they could actually handle a life of anonymity because the public life feeds them. So whether not, it's, an, it's not only about money. I just think that they want to be in the limelight. And I also think she's American. Uh, it's a cultural thing. They, Americans generally, they just, they're an exhibitionistic group of people. They love to air their dirty laundry in public. They love to uh, publicly dribble emotionally about themselves and about their woes and about their tribulations. And they like to make a show of it. So I think it, it is almost cultural. So you see a lot of that going on. You see it evidenced in the talk shows over time and it, and it, with these celebrities who are trying to make a buck, you know, they'll release a book or something and it's always in the name of, oh, I want to help people. Oh, I don't want people to go through what I went through. Oh, and here's my new book. <laughs> you know, here's my new whatever. You know, the the tail end of it is that they've got a product or a service that they want to flog to the market. Yeah. And I'm amazed at how many of them don't get pulled up on it. I mean, I was watching a clip of Demi Moore not long ago. She's released a, a, a book. And, again, it's always the same claim. Oh, I want to help people. I want to make the world a better place. I don't want people to go through what I went through. I want to create greater awareness of this. Oh, and here's my product. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a cultural uh, phenomenon. But, you know, there's a lot of people that claim they're not interested in the Royal Fat and the Windsors, but that there's so much interest, you know, in the Windsors in our country still. Yeah. You know, whether people like to admit it or not, there is a great deal of interest. Though I also admit that I watched The Crown. I don't know if you saw The Crown. Nah. Really good show. Really good show. Now, I didn't want to watch it because I thought that it was just all about them. But it does give you context of history, and it is well See, acted. This is the thing, man. This mm. is where I differentiate, man, because I cannot stand the attention the royal family mm. receives now. Yeah. I can't stand the fact that our flag has a union fucking jack on yeah, it. Yeah, still. Yep. Still, mm. okay? I cannot stand that people forget where colonialism started and how there were so many fucking countries in the Commonwealth. Yeah. How did they get to that kind of reach? Mm. You know? Were the royals just these peace-loving people that came along with, you know, buckets of, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, baskets of fruit. Yeah. Handing them to, you know, <laughs> uneducated savages in yeah. their eyes. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, we're doing them a favor. You know? I can't stand that. But at the same time, I have a deep fascination with the royal family and its history. And its history. And its influence through time. Well, this is what the crown shows you. I mean, it, it portrays the relationships between the, the, the characters really well. The... Princess Margaret, for example, and her yeah. scandals, it does that really well. Uh, John Lithgow does a really good Winston Churchill. Yeah, I, Fan- I, thought, I saw actually saw yeah. Lithgow scenes, yeah. And they, they're just fantastic. He was really good. But you also see that the Suez Canal issue with, with NASA and you're taken through the Profumo scandal and through the um, the tragedy of that mining disaster in Wales when that um, mine collapsed and that school got yeah. sunk in. Um, the moon landing, you know, as well is depicted in it. Uh, the Kennedy is depicted in it. So who played Kennedy? Oh, I can't remember who played him, but he was good. I don't know if it was anyone with a with a famous name. But it also went through one of my one of my favorite storylines on it was the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. 
I don't know if you know much about them, but um, he was um, he was king. Oh, Michael C. Hall. I was Michael C. Hall. Hey, really? Well, he did a good job. Man, I've not seen that name in ages. He did a good job. Okay, he did a good job. So we had um, uh, Edward was king. I don't know how long he was king for, but he abdicated because he couldn't yeah. marry uh, the woman he loved, Wallace Simpson, who was an American Simpson, yeah. society lady. Uh, so George had to step up and be king, and that's something that he and his family never wanted. So George's wife, the Queen Mum, she held a lifelong uh, grudge and absolutely despised Edward and, and Wallace for putting them in that position. But what I found interesting about the Duke and Duchess of Windsor was their connection to Nazism. Yeah. That they had, um, they were very friendly with Hitler. They had toured the Nazi concentration camps in their first stages when they were first set up. They would, there's photos of, you can see them on the internet of saluting, doing the Nazi salute, Ed, uh, the Duke at least, really? shaking hands with Hitler. Yes. They, um, she was also screwing, uh, German <laughs> officers and trading British, British secrets. And they also had a secret pact with Hitler where when Hitler intended to take over England, he would throw out the monarchy, um, persecute them, and put those two in as um, king and queen. And um, that came out eventually. And Elizabeth, who actually, I don't mind Elizabeth. I think I quite admire her. I mean, she was given an almost impossible job that basically killed her father. And she's been sitting on that throne since yeah. Winston, and she's been doing a doing that job since then. And she, you know, banned her uncle forever coming back to ever come back into the country because of their allegiances and their link to, to the Nazis. And if you if you can go, if you Google image uh, Hitler and um, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, you'll see some very interesting um, photo documentation. So it's stuff like that I'm really interested in, and the show really does a good job. Oh yeah, tour of 1937. Jesus, that was in the Dude, that's just as it's starting. Yeah, so the, there, there's the Duke and Duchess with him, Shit. and there's the Duchess shaking hands with him. Wow. Yeah. Holy fuck, there he is. Edward, Edward, Nazi salute. Yeah, Edward and the Nazi salute. So, yeah. Holy crap. They were rightfully yeah, banned from ever going back, because the Sovereign can refuse entry. Yeah, yeah. And the Sovereign refused entry to him once this was all uh, all discovered. And I mean, even, you know, uh, Philip, I mean, his family were deeply embedded in, in Nazism. His sisters were married to yeah. Nazi officers. I mean, he was born in Greece. Oh, that was another thing it showed. Very interesting. His mother became an, a Greek Orthodox nun. I didn't know that. Yeah, she became a Greek Orthodox. And during the dictatorship, she uh, came to the palace and she stayed with him and she, she got, they reconciled. Okay. I touched on Philip's uh, bio. Yeah, and it showed Philip's upbringing, the, the, the staunch kind of school he went to where he was brought up, uh, where he got his education, his issues with his mother and his um, reconciliation with his mother as well. And that, they kind of felt, I think, in a bit of a limbo. They didn't, they didn't feel quite Greek. They didn't feel quite, you know, German. Yeah. So that show depicted all of that. So it's well worth watching for that, I think. Man, the history. Sort of bridging everything we've sort of talked about tonight. Yeah. We know that the Commonwealth the Commonwealth is literally a Commonwealth because of, you know, a monarchy. Yeah. Right? At what point does it just turn back? 
I don't know. I mean, we're talking about two-state solution for Palestine and blah, 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 blah. Not for Palestine. There's no such place. Yeah. West Bank. <laughs> I was waiting. Excuse I you. Did I did that oh, literally. Um, yeah. Literally to get the finger up uh, like no, that. I'm, yeah, not, I'm exactly. not half asleep yet. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. For West <laughs> no, no, no. Bank but like, we're talking about, you know, people making claims to, you know, being indigenous after a certain point. Yeah. You know, roots going back and this and that. Okay. So what about all the countries that the royal family <sighs> now have got their finger of influence in? The Commonwealth countries. Exactly. Right? There are a lot. There are a lot. That are still under the empire, yeah. Yeah. At what point does it all f- go back to what it was? Uh, I don't know. I think... Because wouldn't the indigenous people of those lands technically have, like, you know, claim to it? What they want independence, complete yeah. independence, or they want independence from the Commonwealth. Plus reparations. Well then, I don't know. If, I don't know if I believe in reparations at this point. If we start reparating these people, then we're going to set a but standard that's what to I'm reparate it's a standard. Yeah, You're opening I, I, Pandora's box. You are. That, I don't think it's worth doing that. <clears throat> I think well, Australia doesn't want to um, wants to remain monarchist. Well, okay. the, the, the one that- the one referendum that we did have, we didn't. We weren't against independence. We were against independence decreed. Where um we wouldn't get a president, we'd get a prime minister elected by government, yeah, as opposed to a freely elected democratic president, yeah, the same way like the states do, you know. Well, I think that's uh, what we opposed. Yeah, this is my understanding of back then. I think Australia liked the idea of having the monarchy as oh, this we love, we love uh, because it's sim- it's symbolic. Yeah, and you know when Australia was first set up, obviously English culture was very predominant. We morphed into our own culture at some yeah. point, so we lost quite a bit of it, but I still think we've retained a bit of it. I just think it's a symbolic thing. Obviously, the, you know, the Queen isn't reading our bills and signing our bills and the rest of it. She's head, head of government. It's a symbolic thing of, I think it's, it's tradition. And people see it as, oh, well, there's nothing broken about it. So why, why fix it? You know what, man? Ten years That's ago when thinking. I was in Greece... Ten years ago, when I was in Greece, yeah. my auntie, who grew up here, yeah. she was born in Greece, came in when she was about five, and then went back when she was about 25, yeah. right? Something like that. We're having a discussion about this sort of shit, and she said something about El- Queen Elizabeth and about how, like, almost as if we revered her, mm. and she made fun of Aussies, like, you know, yeah. like, the fact that we were still under the monarchy and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I looked at her and said, man, we don't give a fuck about Queen Elizabeth. She's not in our textbooks since high school. No, sure. Her pictures aren't hanging up in yeah. our schools anymore. They probably they were, were at some until point. God Save the Queen went out the window. Yeah, they probably were, yeah. We're, it, the, the, the monarchy is not predominant in the forefront of our minds. But at the same time, I think overall, I think the majority just enjoys that historic symbolism. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Because there's no majority opposition to it. Not in the majority. And because, as I said, people don't see it as a, as a problem that needs to be fixed. They don't see any cracks, any well, significant I'll cracks. I'll give you a problem, man. In a country where workists and, you know, where we're sort of resetting the boundaries and yeah. resetting the rules for everyone based on their gender, based on their race, the skin tone, all that yeah. sort of shit. A, country, uh, a place where we're focusing on equality for all yeah you've got a set of royals that are sitting on thrones of fucking gold yeah literally people bowing to yeah of no piety of no like why 
That, like, the like, idea of a monarchy is an unequal. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I agree with that. But I think because it's so in the back end, and it's like I said, it's not a predominant force in our lives. Like, we're not the British. It's the English. We don't live in England. We don't have- Her face that. is on our fucking money. Her face is on our money. <laughs> True, it is on our $5 bill and on some of- and the on coins. The, the coins as well. But again, I still think that's become a- I still think that's become a backdrop for people. I just don't think people are really that conscious of it. They don't think about it. But it's indoctrinated, man. Like, it's it's mm. subconsciously, it's there. Oh, it's there. That's it's absolu- it's, it's absolutely there. there. But I just don't think in people's day-to-day lives, they give it that much thought. I don't think they care. I just don't think they see it as, an, as a problem. Even though we've discussed this concept of a monarchy being an, um, a level of inequality, obviously, uh, I just don't because the monarchy isn't physically here. I think if we had the Windsors here, that obviously it would be a different situation. When the Windsors do come here, they just become a spectacle, man. It becomes a yeah. And you have a lot of people going to the parades or yeah. to watch them and waving flags around and the rest of it. Um, I just think it's a long-standing tradition that hasn't completely gone away, and there is a. Maybe there's a soft spot for it. You see monarchies fall all the time, though. Yeah, they do. This one hasn't. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, monarchies do. This one stood the test of time. What actually causes a monarchy to fall? Just literally public referendum? Also, military coups. I yeah. mean, we've seen that happen a lot, haven't we? The fall of empires in general. Yeah. Takeovers. That's generally generally how it happens. See, that's the thing, man. I've touched on this before. Mm. Fall of empires is something that's fucking... It's it's common, man. It's common in, in yeah. world history. Yeah. But we're at a point where we're, we're not seeing past 1947. Do you know what I mean? Mm. People of our age don't go back that far. No. The concept, the idea that a whole empire could just cease one day and disintegrate. Well, what about our culture and our society? So what's to say that our culture can't fall? That's my point. Like, it's not even in the realm of possibility because they're comfortable in their yep. job, in their office, with their TikTok account. That's what's in the now, and that's all that matters. Well, it's interesting that uh, one final point I'll make, because yeah. you mentioned this, is Camille, you know, the, the equity feminist Camille Puglia? Yeah. Yeah. Are you other favorite? Yeah, I like her. She's cool. <laughs> um, she made an interesting point about, you know, this, and I don't want to get into this, but it's just as a reference, th- this whole transgender mania stuff. She believes that transgender mania is a sign of cultural collapse. Yeah. I've actually, one of our other regular panelists has said the same thing. I did, did he or she explain he, why? He said the same, he basically highlighted a few reasons, but please go on. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Paglia in her research and in her, her book highlights that every society that's fallen, uh, whether it's the Hellenistic, uh, the Roman, yeah. uh, she even mentions Weimar Republic Germany, which is interesting as well, the Mauve period, the Oscar Wilde, um, the Babylonians, whatever. Um, in the late phases of their culture, or their societies, the societies tend to indulge in a great deal of hedonism or excess yeah. or revelry, let's say, right as they are dwindling. It's in the last phases of, of all these cultures and civilizations, you can pinpoint it. Yeah. So she believes that all this transgender nonsense, this whole idea that men can be women or men can be considered the equivalent of women as women when it's a scientific impossibility, 
is a sign of that. And this whole gender thing that's been taken seriously of non-binary gender queer, which are societal fashion identities, people that are saying, well, I don't identify with the masculine or the feminine. I don't want to claim it. I'm going to try to avoid it, or I'm going to balance both, or I'm going to be mask on Wednesday and femme on Friday. These societal fashion identities shouldn't have been taken any more seriously than a punk or a goth or an emo or a hippie but they've been galvanized by politicians they've been galvanized by rainbow interest groups and the rest of it so they have been taken seriously so the society is reveling in this whole gender stuff in the transgender stuff so maybe she has a point maybe this is the beginning of the end for us um this whole um transgender and gender phase is our period of excess and hedonism and revelry. And the other point she made as well is that uh, when this happens, you have, she said, she spoke about how there's a push away from traditional masculinity. Boys are pushed away from yeah, traditional that's what, that's what and conventional modes of masculinity and pushed towards the feminine, but you don't see the opposite happening. You don't see girls being pushed into away from femininity into traditional and conventional masculinity. So the war on which side is obvious. The war is against masculinity. The problem that uh, that is considered is masculinity, not femininity. So you will always have what she calls the barbarians at the gate. And Christopher Hitchens also alludes to this. He says that the barbarians never take a city till someone opens the gates for them, and it's true. Um, you'll have the people on the fringes or the groups on the fringes just waiting, uh, the barbarians just waiting for that society to fall so they can take over. Now, unfortunately, we're doing a great damage to it ourselves. We're in many, the wokists, people like that, gleefully eroding the fabrics of our society because they think that we're, that we're, that, that we're no good. They think that we're the cause of all the problems in the world the white skin, the Christians, the Judaics, yeah. all the heterosexuals, uh, the gender conforming, you know, we're the problem. We're the ultimate imperialist, capitalists, colonialists, like the West has never done any damage. Sorry, the East has never done any damage. And there's a self-flagellation. There's a sick kind of masochism. And we're eroding our own societies. So I believe that that point has merit if we are to go by the late phases of all these other cultures and what was going on there. Even if you look at um, Weimar Republic Germany, I mean, uh, after World War One, they were shit at uh, handling the economy. The 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 twenties and sorry the thirties in particular in in um, Berlin and Paris was extremely sexually hedonistic. That would have been more wild than we are today indulging in all kinds of you know sex and sexuality and gender bending and and look who took over yeah um so i think there's a valid point to be made and i'll just finish it off with this point i think there are two sharks or two lots of barbarians that are circling our society one is called the nation state of china <laughs> and one is the is the islamic world i think that the, both those two and both of them have taken bites they've had access they've left their mark absolutely but they haven't our society hasn't quite toppled yet so i think they're just they're waiting they're they're pretty much at the gates taking bites but at the gates they held back to a point but they've still been given some inroads 
someone always takes over. So if we do fall, and the people that are contributing to our fall, our own people that are damaging our side, I don't think they've even given any second thought to um, who will take over. But I tell you what, I hope that those ones that have gleefully eroded our society and helped them, I hope that they're the first to be persecuted once a new element takes over. May they be the first because they, they will deserve it. <laughs> we'll, cl- we'll close on that note. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you for the talk. <laughs> hey, look. This yeah, it's been good. Thing, all right. Yeah. You've said some pretty provocative shit. Have I? Okay. Yeah, no, you have. Oh, probably that last statement. But, and, you know, it's no, no, just no, logical. You've said some pretty yeah. provocative shit, and I haven't pushed back on most of what you said. Maybe not. I might not entirely agree with everything you said. Yeah. I'll let you just say your piece because I know that you're coming from a point of education and a point of um, like a point of contention where you're not bi- you're not fall into your own biases. No, go hard line just because of. No, I mean you could claim to disagree with me based on the point that there's never been a regional territory called Palestine. Yeah. But- your disagreement can be refuted quite easily. <laughs> so it's not just, this is not, uh, to make this clear, this is not just my opinion. I didn't just dream no, this up. That's my point. Yeah. That if it is, your opinion is snaked in there somewhere, but I had you here to present literally fact, factual shit. Yeah. Break it down for people that don't know. I know full well that if someone, if I got an angry email or a tweet or a message. Say, Let me know f- if you do. Who the fuck yeah. is this guy that you brought on? Oh. All right. I say two things. One, it's a stance like everyone else has a, a point, okay? Yeah. And B, I've extended this to so many people. If you want to have a counter-argument, come down, sit down, and say it. And I'll invite you back down as well. Right? No, I'm more than happy to I've had come so back. many fucking complaints yeah. on my, especially maybe my personal social media, which is sort of sucky. Yeah. Right? I'll put up a page, you know, a fact or whatever, and I'll get these responses, you know, from workers, mm. from far left or far right, uh, minority fundamentalists, you know what I mean? Religious people, politically aligned, whatever it is. Yeah. And I just say, oh, okay, so it sounds like you know a lot more about this than I do. Yeah. How about you come down and we have this conversation? Oh, no, I can't do that. But they don't do it, do they? Why? Oh, because once you put something out there, it's out there forever and people are judgmental. I'm like, give me a fucking break. Well, you can use, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. It's got nothing to do with anything. Because, I'll tell you why. Because then they say it takes away their personal interests because it means that they may be subjective to, you know, losing a job or having something out there in the the stratosphere that may look bad on them in some way. I said, and I'm, my, my thing is always the same. I guess I have more faith in my beliefs. Than well, they mustn't have all that much conviction. Exactly. Well, uh, the, the five, four or five contentions in regards to what we originally discussed, the Israel-West Bank-Gaza conflict, I outline it. Yeah. Even on social media when I'm fighting with people or debating with people. <laughs> and I say, okay, here, here are my contentions. One, two, three, four, five. Counter them. Give me a reason why I should doubt my positions. They can never Very do Hitchens it. of you. Well, yes, he's my <laughs> idol, of course, of course. Yeah. But they can, they can, they never do it. They never come back to me and deal with the points I no, make because they would rather have their fleeting opinion, which is mostly based on yeah. emotion, yeah. And just flail. Yeah, exactly. They make vague accusations, very vague points that don't equate to much. Okay, these are the arguments. This is these are my five key points, and you know my reasons. I've already <laughs> highlighted the reasons why I stand by these points. Counter them. You're telling me I'm wrong, so counter them. Yeah. You're de- <laughs> and oh no, you, you dehumanize Arabs. Oh really? 
I mean, and it comes down to silliness like that. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just making that point, man. Thank you. <laughs> Hold up.